Welcome to the Dual Citizen Podcast. I am so glad you are here. My name is Anna Claire Noblet, and I will be your host. And our mission here is to equip young American Christians to engage in community-changing conversation and action. Today, I'm so excited because we are starting season two of the Dual Citizen, and specifically in this season, this fall, leading up to a big election, this is a season of anxiety and anger, mostly, and that's what we're feeling a lot. That's what we're facing, Um, and our ability to have community-changing conversation and engage in community-changing action looks a little bit different now. Our tools are social media, close relative and close friend conversations, conversations and action in our neighborhood or our dorm building, um, using our voice in our classes and our church. And so all of these things add up to be your voice. And even though things look different, even though you might be in online classes, even though you might not be able to meet with your church or with um groups that you're normally part of, you still have a voice and that means you have influence. When I think about influence, sometimes I immediately get hit with fear. I'm going to offend someone. I'm going to say the wrong thing. People who think like me get attacked. Even people within my church or my circles or my school might disagree. And I just don't know where I fall in all of this. So this season, we are going to address some questions that might confront those fears and help us feel a little bit more confident and equipped to have community-changing conversations and to serve our neighbors well. So some of these questions are going to be, why is America so polarized? How do I disagree well? Why should I vote? Does my vote count? And why does public policy matter and who does it affect? So then we will be able to have confident conversations and listen and understand before trying to be understood. Um, And then we'll ultimately maybe feel confident to take action through voting. And so I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to dive into this first question, why is America so polarized with PhD professor, author and writer and great historian, Dr. Carol Ann Von Cross from Stanford University. All right. Well, I am so, so thankful to have my friend, Dr. Von Cross here today. She has been so influential um, in my life as a college student and just a a person who is growing up and, and learning so much. One of the main reasons I admire her and the reason that I really wanted her to come on today is because she's been part of this dream and part of this idea since the very beginning. And she is an example of really civic engagement, civic responsibility. Dr. Von Cross is always at the polls. She is always um, serving there whenever there's an election and then also encouraging her students and anyone around her to take their civic responsibility seriously. Um, And so she's just a great example Um, someone who thoughtfully and responsibly fulfills her duty as a citizen. And um, so today we are going to talk about this question, why is America so polarized? And our objective today is kind of to just examine the current political climate and analyze how we got here, where we're going, and what we should do about it. And that is a lot to talk about in 20 minutes. So we will just um, try our best. But 
the reality is most of us have a hard time identifying with either of the political extremes that are presented to us. And as elections close in and as we are kind of faced with these decisions, it is hard to choose who to represent us. And so we're going to kind of just talk about that today, what to do if we kind of find ourselves in the middle. Dr. Von Cross, will you just explain who you are, your community and political involvement, and why you believe it is so important for young people and especially Christians to learn about the public sphere and be active in it? Thanks for being here. Thank you, Anna Claire. Um, thank you for your kind words and also for what you're doing to um, play your part in our civic duty or as um, Martha Nussbaum and others call it, civic care, uh, civic love. I think that what you're doing with the podcast is uh, a great piece of that. So thank you. Um, I, I'm a historian by training, so I tend to look at everything through that lens. What do we know has happened? Um, and how does that affect us in terms of those four great existential questions of uh, who am I, where am I going, why am I here, but um, also more collectively, who are we, where do we know we came from or where do we think we came from, where do we want to go, what then does it take for us in this period right now to um, to make that happen or to avoid things that we don't want to happen in the future based on history. And as far as uh, the civic realm, I don't think we can really distinguish or shouldn't distinguish um, ourselves politically from ourselves personally. There's that the famous trope that the political is always personal, the personal is always political. Um, and I'll come back always to Plato's double duty in um, the Republic that our politics are an expression of who we are, or at least who we claim to be. And so as a historian, you know, this is the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, a big change that um, required all states to allow women to be able to vote. Whether that, whether that state actually said wanted that or not, they had to abide by now uh, the Constitution. But that was also uh, fraught uh, with racism. And 1965 was a, a hard-fought battle for the Voting Rights Act. And since 1965, uh, we've made a lot of progress. We also, I think, have seen challenges to voting rights for everyone. Every generation has to um, take our responsibilities seriously or we will lose the hard, hard one right to vote, the franchise, which is you know, the, the ownership of a piece of government. For, for me as a citizen, uh, I'm motivated by what I call golden rule politics. Um, and that's something I learned as an adult because, um, you know, what I thought I knew when I was 18 wasn't the whole story. I had a lot to learn, and I'm very grateful for people who um, taught me more than what I had learned in the culture in which I grew up regarding politics and to embrace what, particularly as a Christian, um, the two greatest commandments to love God and love others as God so loved the world. Absolutely. Well, that is 
uh, our foundation for all of this. You know, this it, there really is a connect and, a, and an opportunity to love our neighbors um, through civic engagement, through just this caring about where our country is going, um, and and the the morals and the ideas that are reflected through the people that are representing us. And so it is great to be thoughtful about politicians because they're not just people that we, um, they're not just people that get press. They're not just people who become famous, but they are people whose job is to represent us. And so um, it's a, it's a big responsibility and something to take very seriously. So, you know, we're talking about how we're kind of overwhelmed by the polarization here. Um, the past few weeks, as I've been thinking about this conversation, I've literally heard three people ask the exact question, why is it so polarized? So have, have you seen throughout your life, the American political climate become more polarized and hostile? Um, is that something that is, that is kind of cyclical or is it unique to this season? And why do you think it's happening? Oh, great. Um, historically, it is cyclical. There have been uh, plenty of times in U.S. history uh, which were just as fraught, if not even more so, um, if, <laughs> before the Civil War, but certainly the Civil War itself, uh, 1920s and 30s. I mean, so there are um, cycles. As far as my own life goes, though, uh, I would say you know, I'm 51. Um, my life has been very much a kind of slow, steady march to this point. And so I would like, if it's okay with you, to address a, a, my own culture. Yeah. The culture in which I grew up um, that gave me a foundation. It is a culture um, in which I think most of the students with whom I work comes from and is wrestling with uh, in terms of what do we want to preserve, what do we want to change, etc. Um, and it's, it's the culture that I think it usually describes itself with three C's, conservative Christian culture. And that's often a code. Um, I knew it was a code growing up um, that is often very, very white as well. Uh, and now it's technically integrated, but uh, institutionally, schools, churches, the leadership positions, and the vast majority of the people in, in this culture are uh, white. And so that's a, an important piece uh, what I hope that we will talk about. Um, but this slow, steady march of quote-unquote conservative Christian culture, in my experience, um, that, that shaped me up through the age of 18 and 20, probably 21, one of the dangers, I think, for CCC, conservative Christian culture, that I believe your generation sees and, and is willing to address is the need for introspection and humility studies. Humility studies has really, I think, uh, become, um, has really expanded and become an issue, and I'm, I'm grateful. There's a lot of great work um, being done, particularly on college campuses, regarding humility because we are always in danger of pride and hubris that assumes we're always right. Maybe literally, we're always right, we can't be wrong, um, and has a lack of introspection that causes a, a literal maybe whitewashing 
of history. I was taught a very uh, limited American history. It wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was extremely limited. It wasn't the whole story um, that I went on to study mm-hmm. later. And I think that the one of the things we all need, no matter where we fall on the political spectrum or ideological spectrum, is an embrace of humility and introspection to ask ourselves, uh, maybe personally, but also about the groups with whom we most identify, um, are we necessarily right? What can we learn? Growth mindset, as you know, is really important to me, mm-hmm. as opposed to a closed mindset. I think that um, God expects and, and wants and loves learning and for us to continually grow and mature in our faith and in our knowledge. And that's going to have ramifications for um, how we express that, I think, politically in our vote and in our policies. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is, you know, humbling in itself to to look back and question, you know, what what history have I been taught? And is it the full picture? And um, and this also reminds me of a quote that I, I've read in this book, Letters to an American Christian, and I'm hoping to have the author on in a few weeks. But he says, we need Christian thinkers who will soak themselves in the biblical narrative and Christian tradition so that they will be able reflexively and intuitively to challenge the reigning narratives of the politicians, parties, and cable news networks. So they will counteract the foolishness that dominates our nation's public square and the incivility that degrades our public discourse. So as we filter what we've been taught, we, we filter what is the norm in our cultures. Um, kind of what I've found is the only consistent filter or standard of morality or standard of truth is scripture. And I just love the way he says, you know, we must be soaked in it to be able to discern. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at is, is we, we must have this, you know, just asking even the Holy Spirit to, to help us discern what is really true. And so, yeah, thank you for that. So what would you say to someone who may be hesitant to fully identify with one extreme or the other one is, um, one who is, who is facing our first election and thinking, should I even vote if I, if I'm just overwhelmed by this, if I, um, feel like I'll be criticized either way. Um, if I don't a hundred percent agree with a politician and, um, his or her policies. So, so how have you approached this in the past and what would you, what advice would you have? I have great hope because of your generation's ability and desire to apply critical thinking and, uh, sort of listening to the Holy Spirit and to lots of other people with a growth mindset for learning, uh, with both humility and curiosity and courage. And so as you all, many of you are facing this this first election, uh, I do have some suggestions that I hope are encouraging. One of the discouraging facts right now is that uh, an affiliate, a scholar with the Center for Effective Lawmaking, which I highly recommend, it's uh, with Vanderbilt University and the University of Virginia, and they have a very sophisticated metric where they rate 
members of Congress effectiveness at lawmaking in the ways that you described earlier, which is just day in, day out work on lots of issues that don't grab headlines. Right. And they measure effectiveness by their ability to move a bill <laughs> to completion, uh, which means working with people both in their parties, which can be challenging, but also across the aisles and with independents um, and separating more um, substantive type of policy from just commemorative types, which has its place. So the Center for Effective Lawmaking does some great work, as does the, um, the Bipartisan Policy, policy Center. I uh, highly recommend that for an example of ways people in elected office or maybe they've retired from it, uh, work together to form, find and form consensus around all kinds of really important and crucial issues that I think your generation cares about. Um, and the Center for Effective Lawmaking uh, has just published a report documenting the fact that moderates just don't run for office. And so we've got to spend time thinking about that because that is much of what is discouraging I think many young adults from voting, much less participating even more. And that's what we've got to turn around. Uh, there are moderates out there. They tend to be on the boards of these bipartisan policy centers. Uh, but as this documents, you know, in the 1980s even, there were many, many more moderate uh, Republicans and Democrats in office passing legislation. And so we do have to look at historically, maybe what has changed, what needs to change, so that people who consider themselves moderates uh, will run for office. Um, now, I think there's a place for people who are less moderate in each party because we need a variety, but we need to be holding people accountable. Uh, we don't need only one part political party that's dangerous whether it's one party controlling a state or the country or all branches of government, that's just never good. Multiple parties hold each other accountable, whether we like it or not, uh, that's an important function. Um, but I think one of the things that we can do to change some things right away, and I think your generation might do this, is to stop straight party ticket voting. Uh, that is one of the things that got us here people just voting straight party ticket no matter what uh, without looking at individual candidates uh, particularly the differences locally statewide and nationally um, i think it's just wrong and not very wise to assume that candidates in any party are going to represent you well at the local level, as well as at the state level, as well as at the national level. Uh, so if we could break that chokehold from any party, uh, being able to just count on people voting straight ticket, that could really help, I think, more moderates maybe be willing to serve in public office. And I wanna encourage young people maybe listening to this to consider the double duty that Plato talked about in the Republic to take your turn in public office. And it, it may or may not be running for office for an elected position. It could be an appointment, but voting is the first step. And then there's a second one. Um, 
there are some great tools. Your generation is providing some wonderful tools. Project Democracy is the one I, I really want to recommend. Project Democracy has an amazing board of advisors from across the political spectrum um, and even age-wise. Um, there's a lot of different levels of experience across the political spectrum, and it demonstrates how they have formed consensus on six threats to our democracy. And they don't just stop there. They provide a lot of tools. There's consensus for tools to be able to address those things. One of the things that there is a lot of agreement around, I really, really, really want to highlight today, because you mentioned that I do serve as a poll worker. September the 1st is National Poll Worker Day. And right now, during the pandemic, is a historic moment for young citizens to step up and uh, train to be a poll worker. Poll workers serve the neighbors, serve your neighbors in the precinct where you vote. So it has to be the precinct where you are an eligible voter. But right now, especially during the pandemic, we really need younger, able-bodied citizens who will train, you have to go through training, and maybe you need to take off work or get out of class for that day, but I don't think it's hyperbolic to say that this is a historic moment and it's a historic opportunity for young citizens to not just vote, but be able to serve as poll workers that are going to determine whether or not our democracy works and continues on. Yeah. So kind of wrapping up, um, you know, as you have taught our college students for years now, and if you've closely studied our attitudes and our trends and our technology, are you hopeful for the future or fearful? It's a wonderful question. As a historian, I know that no outcomes are guaranteed. Um, we can't foreclose on the future. And again, it sounds like hyperbole to say how historic this moment is, but it is. We're, we are experiencing what sometimes people call a tremendum, those, those points in history that people refer to as a before and an after 2020 because of everything going on with the pandemic and certainly elections in this country, but also things that are happening worldwide. And I think of it as an opportunity. Um, and so we have historic opportunity to do some things better than where we are right now. And that will involve reckoning with our past in truthful, honest, loving ways. Uh, getting from November to January is going to be um, a fragile moment. And we will all be needed, to, especially as Christians, I think, to model who we say we are. So I, I want to leave us all with uh, verses that encourage me. Uh, I've already mentioned the two greatest commandments, but Micah 6.8 is certainly an important one. Uh, to seek justice to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God, and then jumping into the New Testament, 
in Luke to remember that to whom much is given, much is required. And so let us not grow weary in doing good, no matter how ugly other people may be, unfortunately, even other Christians maybe, um, it doesn't matter. We keep doing good, no matter, and, and let us just not grow weary in doing it. And I think that that's what I hope young people, particularly who are striving to seek truth through all of the noise and all of the confusion, to love truth. First Corinthians thirteen six is is one of my main verses. Um, love rejoices in truth, not in untruth. Those are great verses. Thank you for leaving us with that. And um, really, when I've talked to p- people um, older than me, they they still are hopeful. I've asked a few people this question, and um, they see something in us and and a, a passion and a desire for truth and justice that um, is encouraging to them. Um, and and I'll leave us with with a verse too from. Isaiah 30 and 31, this is kind of a narrative more than just one verse, but it starts out with, with God saying um, that his people Israel are, are going down to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. But ultimately Egypt's help is worthless and empty um, because it, it relies on oppression and perverseness. And as we continue on, he just he says, in returning and rest shall you be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. And woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And so for some reason, this just, I think, um, you know, obviously Egypt kind of can be compared to just any ruler, any um, authority, and that we and when we put our ultimate hope and and find our help in that in those rulers, then we find them worthless and empty. Um, but if we consult the Lord and and prioritize His commands to love Him and love others, and use every opportunity to love Him and love others. I think that's what we're getting at here. And then we won't be so disappointed when someone can't represent us perfectly because we know that they aren't perfect. Oh, I think that's absolutely beautiful. And, and as you said, um, we have a choice hermeneutically when we read it to do, we are, are we identifying with Israel? Are we uh, maybe a little too much like Egypt? Um, and, and we have choices and important choices to make and how we understand it and are applying it. Absolutely. And I think um, not only thinking about those who represent us, but our neighbors aren't perfect either. Right. And I think that's, that's the challenge for all of us as we go through this. But we're, you know, it's going to be over as well. And, and in the aftermath of any political election, but especially this one, what then are we left with regarding our neighbors who um, voted differently, who view whatever the outcome is very differently from us? They're, we're going to have a lot of neighbors who are responding differently to the outcome of this election. Maybe the opportunity even is even more. Exactly. Exactly. It's like a rubber band that expands. As the challenge grows, so does the opportunity. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm so encouraged and I just appreciate 
you taking time to share after so much study, so much thoughtful conversation with students. And um, just thank you for your time and for sharing your heart with us. Blessings to everybody. Thanks for being part of this first episode of season two of the Dual Citizen podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation and I think one of the main things that I'm going to be taking away from it is just how important a broad spectrum of voters is. It is important for us to stick with um, what is the most important issue for us, what is our what our values are. And even if you are someone who completely identifies with a party or if you find yourself in the middle, the thoughtful process is what matters and um, not just automatically going with kind of one mold and and really just taking the responsibility seriously. So I am thankful for our conversation today, even though it is hard to hear the reason behind polarization um, and it really just has to do with me wanting people to think like me and all of us kind of having that innate desire for for people to just be like us that would just be easier right um but just some encouragement remember that no matter who you identify with our hope is in jesus our hope is not in a ruler or a government and man what a great promise so thanks so much for joining don't forget to check out anchoredpassion.com for more resources and we'll see you soon